Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. It is currently seven minutes past midnight. I think full time was, what, two hours ago? Wales have been denied a Grand Slam in the cruelest of fashion out in Paris. A last gasp try, securing a 32-30 win for France in a game that seemingly lasted for about four hours and just about had everything. I'm joined by Simon Thomas and uh, Matt Southcombe. Gents, I'm not sure how this podcast is going to go because I'm not sure we fully processed the match ourselves yet. It was actually the day after the match, I just realised. And the game went on so long, I thought the game was going to go into the next day. Uh, first things first, you know, there's a lot of sort of people this season, especially in the autumn, were questioning the way rugby was going, you know, whether it was becoming a bore fest. It's been a good Six Nations and that was a fantastic game. It really was. It had, it had absolutely everything. It was incident-packed, some great scores and drama right to the very end. Sadly, the drama concluded with uh, Wales having a Grand Slam ripped from their grasp. I think it was in the 83rd minute in the end, but three minutes of added time. And we will go through the nitty-gritty of exactly how it happened. But it's uh, m- what, I, what I wrote... And the very first words I wrote in my uh, analysis piece afterwards was, it can be a very cruel thing, sport. And it was cruel for Wales tonight. Indeed it was. It it speaks volumes that um, we had the 100-minute match in Paris four years ago. And this this one felt longer. It was just breathless, wasn't it? I think it was 40 minutes of of ball in playtime, which is the first stoppage was after four minutes. It's just, it, it was just a mental match, wasn't it, man? Yeah, it was, and I, I suppose that one of the other things to say, you know, is just what a what an advert for Six Nations and what an advert for for rugby in general. You know, we give the sport a hard time quite often, um, but you know, you can't you can't really ask for more from a game of rugby if you're a neutral. Um, you know, if if you're a Welsh fan or a, or a French supporter, it had you on the edge of your seat for for the entirety of the match, and. Um, you know, I think both teams played their part in that. I was surprised to see the way that Wales approached the game, um, but they, you know, they they played into this this sort of entertaining um, the show that was going to be put on. Um, and they, like I said, they played their part in that. They didn't try and kill that sort of vibe. Um, you know, the discipline from both teams in the first half was largely quite good, which is why we had such a lot of ball in playtime and and a lot of attacking, free flowing rugby. Um, uh, the discipline on both sides sort of fell apart in the second half a little bit, particularly uh, on the Welsh side. Um, but I thought as well, by and large, Luke Pearce had a had a really good game. Um, you know, I thought maybe one or two que- you know decisions uh, can be debated, but we always have that, don't we? So, you know, I thought on the whole he was fantastic, and you know, I think he was particularly hot on on scrum halves playing the ball within five seconds and you know that seemed to speed the game up quite a bit and you know it was a game you know like you said it did rumble on a bit but it was a game that you just knew every decision was absolutely massive that the officials had to make which is why they did you know Wayne Barnes was in the game the TMO quite a lot uh, they clearly wanted to get this this right and and a lot of the a lot of the decisions were not straightforward as well um so i thought they did a decent job of of officiating the game um but yeah it was uh, it was a hell of an encounter um uh, but it was it's an absolutely heartbreaking outcome for for that Welsh side and um, and obviously the Welsh reporters. I've spent um, the last hour going through the tape looking specifically 
at the TMO calls because they were a lot of them and they were vital and they were crucial. And having gone through them, I'd say they did a very good job generally. Um, the one decision which I do think they got wrong, ironically enough, was the, the one that Pierce made on his own without really consulting Wayne Barnes. And that was the incident um, just before Lewis Resamit went over in the corner for the try that was rightly disallowed. The ball, it either hit the bottom of the flag or the white line. It, was, it wasn't a try. But just seconds before that, if you remember, there'd been a line-out drive. I watched it closely. Three players detached from it. That was the two props, Francis and Wynne Jones and Navidia. They were in a pod of three, sprinting for the line that, that were going at a real pace. The only player in front between them and the French line was um, Antimac. There's no way he was going to stop them. It was going to be a nailed-on try. And if you watch it, who asked the tight head comes right in from the side, attaches himself onto Wynne Jones to wrap him up, dislocate them all. It's as clear a penalty try offence, in my view, as you will see on a rugby field, because there is no way that mall was not going to reach the line. It was cynical by who has, he knew, you know, he took one for the team and ultimately it was vital because I know they got a penalty, he's got three points from it, but it would have been seven points, penalty try, conversion automatic, four point difference, Wales lost by two. That's the only one I would take issue with. And it's interesting, I'm not entirely sure exactly where you stand on the rule with that because obviously for the grounding and issues like that, you look to the TMO. You don't perhaps see that kind of situation taken upstairs or like, oh, Wayne, can we just check whether in your view that would have been a penalty, that should be a penalty try. They didn't really look at that on the replay. I think when you look at it and when people do look at that back, that to me was a penalty try. They did very well overall. But that is the one I did pick up on. What was the reasoning that Luke Pierce gave? Did he say that the Mall had lost? I listened to it. I listened to it exactly what he said. Um, Alan Wynn came over, and he was kind of before Alan Wynn could say anything. Pierce said, "Alan Wynn, I'm not convinced a try would have been scored." Now, to me, it's his call. I, I you know, respect that. It's his call. I guess when we look at these things, we we make our own judgments, don't we? I mean, I'm not an international referee. But, you know, it was pretty... Have a look at it yourselves when you get a chance. It was it was a, clearly a foul, a penalty offence, clearly a yellow card offence. Did it stop a definite try? Pierce says he's not convinced it would. I think uh, Mr. Intermac, who had three huge blokes rumbling towards him, probably thought it was going to be a try and was very relieved to see who else come in the side. It was pretty blatant, to be honest. And I think you're talking just a few feet from the line. So It's, it's, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Would, it? would it have stopped a probable try? Because driving malls tend to be something in rugby that don't get referred to the TMO much because yeah. they don't tend to get held up because at the end of the day, you're grounding the ball behind your own players. The, 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 the force of their driving weight and their force. So it's not something that goes to the TMO to check stuff like grounding. So I I'm surprised that didn't get factored into that decision-making process at all. I think when you look at it, you'll look at that and say, is there any way without who has coming in, it wouldn't have been a try? I can't see anything. I think, I think, that was, I think it was a penalty try. Wayne Pivak certainly thought it was. Um, did did he? Was, That's interesting. I, didn't hear, I obviously didn't hear that. Um, hey, listen, 
that's what rugby is about, isn't it? It's like loads of decisions go your way. I think it's fair to say that certain things have gone Wales's way in this championship that helped them gain the momentum. Certain things went their way today, you know, because you you often it was foul play by Paul Vermes, but you know it was a good spot by Wayne's Barnes because you know that was he he went back and alerted Piers to it, and then once they went through the motion of it, they went. Penalty, yellow card, red mm-hmm. card. As they, the more they looked at it, and you just can't put your hand anywhere near someone's eyes. And yeah. I believe Mr. Galtier, Monsieur Galtier, is a. He had a few words about it. Yeah, can you let me go on this, Ben? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> this is a disgrace, isn't it? It you is. Know, no, I, I saw. I saw the react. Some of the. I, I got a tweet out pretty pretty quickly when this incident happened because I knew where this was going to go on Twitter before it even started. You cannot pull somebody out of a ruck by their eye socket. <laughs> I don't care if you know where your hands are or what they're doing. If your fingers end up in someone's eye when you're removing them from a ruck, it is a red card. End of discussion. You know, for Galtier to come out with these comments, you know, it's so inflammatory. What did he actually say, Matt? He said, I'll pull up, the, I don't want to get it wrong, so I want to get the actual quote. They, they, they specialise in, in getting players sent off. Yeah, so and that's, it, he, you know that's that's suggested, alluded said, to the other red cards in the tournament. Which, yeah, and again, stonewallers. And he also suggested that there was very there was either no or very little contact with the eye. Contact with the eye is contact with the eye, as far as I'm concerned. It was a red card. You know, I don't know if Galtier is perhaps worried about Awas for next week, um, but he ain't playing in that game, or at least he shouldn't. Well, um, Villemess, you mean? It was. Oh, sorry, Villemess. Yeah, sorry, Villemess. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't even just a gouge. It was a neck roll. The thing was, with, I with a gouge thrown in. I, I for, couldn't for good quite measure. work. <laughs> I couldn't quite work how his hand ended up in that angle. It was like it seemed well, to be wrapped around his he head. He must like, be double jointed. I, I don't know the angle at which he did it. It was. He sort of went. Did he go like round the back of Wynne Jones's head? He and then dislocated the his wrist. Extraordinary. He must have missed the tickle arms. <laughs> Extraordinary. Anyway, those comments were out of order. Not not like a French lock that gets sent off against uh, Wales. I know. It? I thought they'd done it again for us. Yeah. The thing. The thing is, though, Matt, is it's weird, isn't it? I mean, at that point, I actually was writing my match report, which I'd have been the whole lot. I'd have been the lot. I remember I was right tonight. I'm sure the naysayers will point to the fact that Wales have uh, benefited again from a team having a red card. You know, but discipline is hugely important in sport. And Wales have been squeaky clean during this championship. Not a single card. I wrote that with nine minutes to go. And of course, it's like, and it's true, they, their discipline has been so good during this campaign, not just in avoiding cards, but generally the penalty count. And they saved it all for the last 10 minutes, didn't they? You know, two successive ye- uh, yellows. Falatau's was a cumulative thing, wasn't it? Because they, they were under the pressure. Under, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. France, France down to 40 men just threw everything at it. Penalties mounted. What was the Liam one for exactly? I right. didn't get a good view of that. This is a debate because I want to watch this one back. I haven't, I've only seen it once, saw it live because the, the replay never came up. Now, when it happened live, I thought that's a really good tackle. I thought he'd made a really crucial intervention. Um, now, I, I've, as I said, I haven't seen it back. I've only saw, I only saw it once, and that was live. It didn't. I don't know if he's knocked the ball out of the scrum half's hands, which is often deemed a penalty. And I'm also not entirely sure on what the exact law is about him coming through that ruck to make a tackle and diving right. through it. 
I've actually got P- it right in front Pitts, of me. Pissed, and he went off his feet. But even yeah. wasn't he making the tackle? You can do no, that to make a tackle. What happened was I can talk you through it because I'm actually looking at it this very second. So 23 goes in the replacement outside back. Liam Williams makes a tackle on 23, gets back up and dives over 23 to get to grab the ball. And that's what he's penalised for. And I'll, I'll tell you what Pierce says. Pierce calls him over then, and yeah. off your feet. He says, "Off your feet." Basically, what's, that. What's the field? The field position is about 30, 40 meters out for the Welsh try. Well, on the ten meter that's line, right, exactly. It? it was the tackle is made <laughs> virtually on the Welsh ten meter line. Yeah. yeah. And what was the defensive situation like? It was chaos. When it was a bit disorganised. Well, moment. I mean, that, that's not why. Gail G- yeah. Fiku went mental calling for a penalty try, which... No, I think he was referring to something that... Ha- I think he was referring to the... Um, what happened if Camille he thought sh- that the, Yeah, he thought there was a try before that. Oh, yeah. after, I think it got close to the line and he was saying that he thought he'd scored it, but... I, I, that, to me, looks... What Liam Williams did there, um, he has gone off his feet and it, it, it's a penalty offence. It's a bit surprising to me on reflection that you've got a yellow because you've just had a cumulative yellow against mm-hmm. Falato. And it, it's... It's not as that doesn't strike me as the most blatantly obvious yellow card offence, and it's almost like he's got into yellow mood at that point, Pierce. You know? Yeah, I, I did think this as well. You know, when he started, when the card started flying, I was a bit like, "Is he leveling this up? Is that what's happening here?" Part of me did think that. I'll be honest, because you know, and then when he started threatening the third card, I was a bit like, "Oh, here we go." Um, the irony is, Win Jones could have gone for one and I thought maybe Wynne Jones got away with one where the others two because Wynne Jones had something you're right yeah I think Wynne Jones is more obviously a yellow <laughs> he, kills, he kills the ball quite cynically near his own I've, line I've just watched that by Liam now and um, you wouldn't expect that to be a yellow in normal play when you've just had a person yeah. yellow card for cumulative Falatau was just annoying wasn't it it was him coming from the wrong side of a ruck and just nudging I mean, into Dupont it, it happens in desperate defence doesn't yeah, it yeah, yeah. I mean, so are we saying that it was swings and roundabouts and you, you win some, you lose some with the referee? Well, I, I think, I go back to what I said originally, I think, I look at all of those decisions, I think the ones that Barnes was involved in, I, I think they got them spot on. The two, which I think you'd perhaps have questions with, certainly I have questions about the non-award of the penalty try, and having watched that Liam Williams back now, that looks a little bit harsh for a yellow. It's a penalty offence, but they've just been a, a team one. So it wasn't like it was a, I've lost my patience, here comes the yellow. He just had one. Mm. Did yeah. um, did Wayne Pivak mention either yellow card in his first match? No, no, he just, to be honest, it was a bit of a nightmare with the with the uh, technical stuff out in Paris. So <laughs> um, he, he only really got got a chance to speak about the penalty try incident uh, or non-penalty try incident, um, which is, you know, when he, Put, put across his rather forthright views. Um, but yeah, it was, a, you know, the last 20, uh, it was a, a bit of a mental one, really. Uh, you know, bit, a bit of insight, a bit like Simon. I, so my job was to write the, the what results the, the Wales need next week if, um, if they lose. And for 65 minutes of the match, I was sat here with my feet up on Twitter, just watching the game, chilling out. And then it suddenly dawned on me that I might want to get, get my backside in gear and start putting this piece together because, you know, I think for all the um, the refereeing decisions and all the rest of it, you know, do, do we need a bit of an inquest into the way Wales lost control of the game? Or? I, I think the bottom line 
and I know I've, I've mentioned things that went against them, but when you're 30 points to 20 up with eight minutes to go, nine minutes to go against 14 men, you shouldn't really lose that game. Um, I, I think that's why when they look back on it, I mean, these things happen so quickly and all of a sudden within the space of two minutes, you're a man down having been a man up, you know, and everything yeah. changes. But I think they were on reflection when they consider how composed and disciplined they've been. Um, oh, I'm just looking. I can see what um, Fico is talking about. He is saying, I think Camille Schatt, the, the replacement hooker, um, it was like one of those things where he was brought to ground and then made a secondary movement. And it does look a little bit like he might have clipped the line. Um, and f- you can see Fico is stood right above him as he goes for it. So that's why he is so animated about it. So another swing and roundabout. That could have been a try. These things happen. That one didn't go upstairs as far as I can tell. Um, I think Fico wanted it to. Think, well, think, things were just going mental at that stage, weren't they? Ah, yeah, it was a rather chaotic moment. Let me uh, let me put something to you then, right? So I've I've commended Wayne Pivak for the way that he's used his replacements in this competition, but I think he got it wrong in Paris tonight. Um, you know, sixty-eight minutes, right? With all the, all the stuff that's going on at this point in the game, um, let me just dra- let me just drag up uh, what the score was at that point. So sixty eight minutes, thirty twenty, isn't it? It's thirty twenty. Wayne Pivak takes off Jonathan Davis, Dan Bigger, Ken Owens, and Thomas Francis. So that's Jonathan Davis of ninety three international caps, Dan Bigger of ninety one international caps, Ken Owens of eighty three international caps, and Thomas Francis of fifty six international caps. Now three of those players have won multiple Grand Slams. Now I know the bench has come on and seen them through in games, but Dan Bigger was having the best game I've seen him play in a while. I think it was a mistake to make those substitutions. And I particularly think it was a mistake to make the Dan Bigger substitution. Now, Wayne Pivak says that Dan Bigger had a bit of cramp in his calf, but every player is cramping up at that point in a game. And I think Dan Bigger would have been playing till next Saturday if you left him on in that scenario. So my, I think to, to take off, what is it? That's got to be about 300 caps. 13 minutes out from a Grand Slam. I think that's a mistake. I mean, the front row forwards, I mean, you, you can probably live with that because that happens virtually in every game, doesn't it? You make those changes and they put a big shift in. So um, you can see that. Um, it's difficult if he's saying that Bigger was struggling physically. I mean, you just don't know. That's the. Well, that's he didn't the say he was one. struggling. He had cramp in his calf. Uh, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying he didn't have cramp in his calf. And I'm not saying that he, he was able, he was in a position to carry on. But to me, every player is cramping up at that point. And I, you know, hey, that's just my opinion on it. It's interesting, isn't it? Because then Sheedy generally has come on at points in games where we need to score points. You know, when the game's in the balance, one score maybe behind. Yeah. Now they needed to see it through. And there were occasions, you know, in the 2019 campaign where Anscombe got Wales in front and then Bigger came to navigate the ship to the end. And he's very good at that. I suppose at the end of the day, the call has to make a the coach has to make a judgment call. If he spots something, he thinks that Dan's starting to struggle a little bit. I don't know; it's a really tricky one. Yeah, um, I don't think that's. I just felt that those two yellow cards were just so 
they were so killing. They just changed everything. Yeah. But ironically, the thing that changed the game more than anything was the red card. Actually, it seemed to, it seemed to be the from that moment the French just said, you know, Sylvie, ooh la la, let's play. Le <laughs> jouer <laughs> because they had nothing to lose at that point, did they? And that's the trouble with them. They can do that, can't they? They can just flick a switch. And it was as if they didn't have 14 men, but they had 440 in the way they were coming in the last 10 minutes. And But, you know, you go all through it all, and this happened, Adam, so much incident. But then you come back to it, 13 men against 14 men, into the last minute of the game. I think it was about 90 seconds to go, maybe two minutes. Wills turned the ball over, got the ball back. I think it was a French spillage. And you thought, this is it, they're going to do it. And they were probably two more carries away from seeing timeout. But you always feel it's that horrible one. You're watching it like, like with your hand, like behind the sofa, like the old Doctor Who and the Daleks, you know, because there's always that danger when you're going through that play in the clock down process, you can be done for sealing off. I think it was Corey Hill that done in the end, yeah. didn't mm-hmm. I? Mean, I mean, you know, it, it's an accident waiting to happen. Um, I've had a couple of people saying, oh, should maybe we have, Wales have kicked long Ooh. because because Dula and they were because they were making a mess under the high ball. But they remember the, the flack that Gareth Davis got for kicking the ball away, understandably yeah. in the first game. I think you do just have to go through it. And other teams, you've seen other teams over the years just see it out. And the frustrating thing for me is they got done for that, and yet one of the biggest pluses to come out of the game for me was where Wales were excellent in their ruck clear out efficiency, really, <laughs> really good. In the first half in particular, I haven't seen a Welsh team recycle and make yardage like that for a long side. Now, I suppose the difference in that first half, they were making big dents. When you're playing down the clock, you're not looking to make big dents. Are you? you just mm, go in round the yeah. corner, go in round the corner. The re- ref- referees become more alert to, it. alert to it because it's passive and, and it's important to make a decision then, isn't it? Because it's you know 90 seconds yeah. on the clock. And with this French team, you give them the ball in your 22 with an extra man, you're going to be in trouble, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The frustrating thing for me on that is that, like, that particular ruck, it didn't seem to be a French defender trying to counter ruck. Um, it happened so fast that Corey Hill was in it off his feet before a French defender had even tried. It's just desperation. Um, so, and, and I don't even know if it's that. I think it's just a case of fall, getting too close to the man and falling over him. Um, you know, the other thing is you often hear, you know, I'm, you know, this is a stonewall penalty. We're not debating this point, but you often hear referees in that situation telling attackers to stay on their feet and be aware of it. Um, but quite frankly, there is no, there's no excuse from a Welsh point of view. You know, teams... You know, as soon as you, you talked about people saying that they should have kicked the ball away, Si, I saw Thomas Williams shape up like he was about to do that at one point, and I was just sat here thinking, do not kick the ball. Oh, because teams- I've just watched it. I've just watched it. Um, it's, uh, oh, dear. It's horrible to watch. It's like, uh, I'll tell you, the, sem- the time is 78 minutes and 45 seconds. Thomas Williams, it's, it's a ruck sort of on halfway. Thomas Williams feeds Leon Brown. Um, Brown carries it in. Uh, another recycle. Thomas Williams has it. 
Brian Moore saying, just go through the phases, Wales. The clock is ticking. We're now into the last minute. 79 minutes. Nicky Smith, carry- Nicky Smith carries the ball forward. And it almost looks like the French step away. Yeah, well, that's the other thing, and, I thought. And then that's what makes both Nicky Smith... Nicky Smith obviously goes to ground, and then Corey Hill flops on top of him. Yeah, that's what. Oh, that's interesting. That is. That's what I was getting at because there was no, there was no French defender anywhere near it, from what I remember. Um, but it, you know, in my opinion, teams practice that. They know they've all got a two-minute drill. Oh, it's cute. It's Aldrit. It's Aldrit. He kind of takes the contact from Nicky Smith, but then as he does it, he steps back two or three paces. Mm. So he almost takes Nicky Smith as a cushion. Nicky goes to ground. And obviously, Corey Hill is coming in to clear Aldred out. And all of a sudden, there's no Aldred there. Yeah. And he flops on top. But it's very, very cute for Gregory Aldred. And it, a bit, as well, you have to say that, you know, that's oh, I've got 79. It was like 79 and two seconds. Probably how many more carries would you have needed there? Three? Two, uh, two or three, I think. Um, but oh, it's, yeah. there's, another, there's another incident that I would be interested to get your uh, your views on. We've touched on the penalty try. Um, didn't come. Uh, so the tight dead goes to the sin bin for 10 minutes. Wales take the three points. I was thinking at the time, tell you what, a try here kills the game. Wales are on top. If they go for a scrum, they've got to bring a replacement tight dead on and take somebody else off, probably a winger. Suddenly you've got space with a five-meter scrum Pretty good odds to score a try and win a Grand Slam for me. Yeah, it's a fair argument. And Wales have rolled the dice quite successfully on going for the going for tries, haven't they, in this championship? I suppose they would have looked at the scoreboard and, you know, 10 points lead. It's difficult. These are big, big calls, aren't they? They're difficult yeah. calls. It's, it's tough because up to that point, you know, you, you take the 10-point lead and up to the 60th minute point, Wales had got a lot of territory and possession from France. Neither neither team kicked a touch in this match, and that basically led to any time you exited from a, a a kickoff, the other team immediately had ball in your half. So Wales were constantly get, get like setting up attacking positions in the French half simply because France weren't weren't looking to to find touch, and that's what set them up so well for large parts of the match. So you get to the sixty minute mark. If you're Alan Jones, you probably assume take take the points here, and we're going to get back to the 22 in oh. two two three minutes. Oh, I tell you what, in that final part, I'm just watching it. I don't know why I'm putting myself through. This. There's a moment in the final French attack where James Botham. It looks for all money, yes, and he's on the ball, all money, and he just feet just slide away from him. Yeah, I tell you what, I mean. They're absolutely putting their bodies on the line in this phase. I mean, France were going through it. Wales inevitably were getting a bit narrow now. I mean, I'm looking at the mall there's with five Welsh bodies in there. Oh, it's, it's, oh, it's, oh God. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's a good point, isn't it? You know, Wales were putting their bodies on the line, no matter what. Wales made it. Yeah, but Matt, Matt, made a good, Matt made a really good, interesting point earlier, you know, that Wales missed 36 tackles. Which is interesting because a lot of people, you know, a lot of people will remember, understandably so, there were two or three occasions where they held the friendship over the lines. They were very brave, putting their bodies on the line. I just, I guess they were, 
you know, they were they were stressed, particularly in that second half, by a French team that you know when it when it fires, yeah. will break you. They will break you, but they'll be disappointed with that figure, won't they? You know, what was I, the figure Sean Edwards always used to talk about? Missed tackle, single figures. I think he wanted. Long um, way. Oh, oh, the, 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 oh the, Thomas Williams. The oh, there's France. no way. It's a try. France had just got a try. Oh. <laughs> France were close to single figures. They had 11. They had 11, yeah. Yeah, to me, that feels... It felt pointless because France were basically just soaking up passive tackles. They were hemorrhaging yards in the first half, you know. Yeah. Making tackles like that is pointless. At least with Wales, France didn't get anything easy tonight. Maybe they were too aggressive and, you know, missed tackles can sometimes be misleading. Like DuPont misses a lot of tackles. Gareth Davis used to miss a lot of tackles under Sean Edwards because it depends how you want to defend. If you defend sort of aggressively in the in the line, you can miss a tackle, but you can knock someone sort of off their path and they get swallowed up by the next tackle. That's a dominant tackle. Wales yeah. made everything so hard for France in defence, which is really pleasing. You know, um, they held up them, held them up a number of times. Doolan had to work really hard to finish the try that then rightfully got ruled out because their lock had decided to sort of explore Win Jones's head. <laughs> even even the try at the end, you know, Fiku had to sort of straighten that one up when it was a three on one. Yeah. I just the think... scrambled defence is, is is just ridiculous. Like George North nearly yeah, he nearly held up. Was that Doolan? He nearly held up. Doolan that was, yeah. yeah. I think it was Doolan. Yeah, I just think like you know, thirty six of them. That's the that's the most they've missed in this tournament. Um, I think the next worst is twenty seven tackles against Scotland, um, which you know I think we would all agree is was, you know, that was with a largely reshuffled side after a lot of injuries after the Ireland game. So you know, you almost scratch that one out to be honest. Um, I think they were single figures for the England game. I think they missed nine tackles in that game. Um, so you know, but it would be interesting to know when those missed tackles came as well. Like, yeah. how many did they miss when they were down to fourteen and thirteen men? Uh, it's, it's hard to know. And also, you know, you've got to say that France are the best side in the competition. You know, I would say if it's not if it's not Wales, um, you know, at the end of the day, then I think France is definitely the the toughest side that they'll have faced in this tournament. Um, so. You know, you would expect them to miss more tackles, but to me, thirty-six feels like a really big number, um, and I'm not sure Gethin Jenkins is going to be particularly thrilled, especially when you want to produce your best performance. Um, so, you know, for for everything that Wales produce going forward, I think that that figure will disappoint them. But I also, you know, you've also got to stress that the immediate stats after a game are often revised, um, and tomorrow that number may be different, um, maybe more but it, it may very well be less as well. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see what that figure is when when all is said and done. Yeah, it's, um, we're going to we pick the bones over it all, haven't we? I mean, I, I in my conclusion, when I was doing my report, I mean, I, I, for me, there were like a series of things. There was, you know, the fact that they were, as I say, 10 points up with eight minutes to go. Bit of indiscipline then cost them those two penalties, those two um, yellow cards rather. And then the mall offence, you know, which obviously cost them dear. Um, little moments, narrow margins. It's been the case for Wales's campaign. That, you know, the narrow margins and little decisions have gone their way on occasions. Um, a couple of decisions didn't go their way this time in terms of the penalty try that wasn't given and maybe the Liam yellow card. Um, sometimes it's just the rub of the green, isn't it? I mean, I, 
who was the better team today? I think over the balance of the whole game, I think Wales are the better team, actually. Yeah. That might not have been the case for every game during this championship prior to that. You know, you could argue maybe were Wales definitely the better team against Ireland and Scotland up in the air. And I think France are better than those two. So to me, the fact that Wales were the better of the two teams against France, a really good French team, that shows the progress Wales have made. So I think we need to really sort of, I suppose, when the dust has settled, and of course there's still a Six Nations title up for grabs, which we'll talk about before the end, but when the dust does settle, I think the strides Wales have made in this championship have been significant, really significant. Yeah. The biggest thing, you think about going into this game, what were we all talking about? how big and physically imposing this French team were. Well, they came second best in the contacts for a long, long period. Wales made ground with alarming ease if you're a French supporter. For, you know, Ford's taking it in turns to eat up the yards, Wynne Jones, great carrying, Falatone, Navidi, you know, brilliant carrying. I thought Ken Owens as well. And then the backs were making big yardage. The centres, Jonathan Davis had his best game for a long while. The centres were making big yards. And when in the back three were making big yards, either through contact or, or through escaping into space. So with ball in hand, in terms of crossing the game line, I haven't seen Wales play like that for a long, long time. And that's where they've got to from where they started, and particularly from where they started in the autumn. The strides since Wales started this season out in Paris to how they've ended this season in Paris are seismic. Mm. If you can have a seismic, if you can have a seismic stride. Because you know, every, every week, I think you can. Yeah. Pivak has talking, has spoken, talking. You can tell it's late. Has spoken about getting that eighty-minute performance, and mm. this to me was easily the closest they got to that because for sixty minutes, and I know they they maybe you know they played a bit fast and loose to begin with, but that first half they they were always in control. Best yeah. Fran, France, you know France. You know it's it's like it's a it's, it's in boxing terms. They they kept France away with the jab, and you know that France are occasionally going to swing a haymaker, but you, you just keep them away with the jab, and you keep scoring consistently. Yeah, yeah, really well. I just thought as well, you know, to pick up on a point we made earlier. Um, Ugo Monia made a really good point this week in, on his podcast that there's no team in world rugby that can go from gear one to gear five in an offload, apart from France. I think that's what we saw in the closing minutes. But in the first half, I think at half time, France had been in Wales as 22 for about something like 35 seconds, which is a remarkable statistic. And I, I think at that the, point. I'll give you the exact mention. It, it is genuinely an, an extraordinary one. It, it was um, in four minutes 46, Wales had in the French 22 in the first half. And France had just 35 seconds in the last yeah. two in the first half. It's unbelievable, really, um, you know, for, for that to have happened. But, you know, and, and Wayne Pivak, you know, I, I, in the press conference on Thursday, I said, I saw the stats in the week. So I said to Pivak, look, France score all their, the majority of their points in the second quarter of the match, the, the 20 minutes before half time, And that's typically when Wales concede most of their points. And he laughed because he knew it and they'd spoken about it. They'd scenarioed it in training and put players in different scenarios and worked on it. And he said today, like when we went in at, I think it what was it, 17 all at halftime? Yeah. When we went in at 17 all, we were chuffed because, not chuffed, but I'm, I'm putting words in his mouth there, but they were happy because... That's what they worked on all week was making sure that they they didn't let the game slip away in that twenty minute period, and it and they didn't. But unfortunately, what they didn't legislate for was 
an absolutely balmy second second half. Um, but you know, I think Simon's right. You know, there 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 are a lot of positive signs, and I guess you know before we before we start looking too far ahead. But you know, I think it, I think when the dust settles, uh, you know, it, it's still a better Six Nations than anyone could have imagined. Much better, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, I think you, sometimes teams need experiences like this, don't you? You think England 1999, Scott Gibbs breaking their heart. Mm. That, that You know, Clyde Woodward is constantly pointing to that as sort of being the catalyst to ironing out the creases to 2003. I, I, you know, Ireland could never get over the Grand Slam sort of Six Nations hump between 2005-2008 mm. before they achieved what they did in 2009. And, this might be the making of. I mean, admittedly, it's it's a Wales squad at the end of two different spectrums. You know, you've got a lot of lot of boys in their thirties, sort of coming towards the end of their time, and then you've got some lads who are, who are young, like Lewis Rees-Sam and Callum Sheedy. But it could be the making of some of these boys. And I, I guess just just a word on, on, for Wayne Pivak for basically the the amount of flack he's taken in this first year. You know. Can it kind of be easy for him? Can it be easy for his family? Yeah, yeah. All, think, all, all the way in Auckland, I, I text his, his son during the match just to see how he was doing. He was uh, watching it at his nan's uh, retirement village because it was the perfect place in case he had a heart attack. Such was <laughs> such was the nerves during that second half. I'll tell you so, what, he might not have been far away. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't. I hope if, he's the, not. If, if, if the listeners are wondering what the the, the the beeping in the background, that's that's our colleague Mark Orders, who at quarter to one in the morning is still sending us all direct messages for his uh, chapter and verse pieces. So <laughs> just to prove that it's not just us three burning the midnight oil, it's been a it's been a pretty full on Wales online operation today, and yeah. um, uh, it, 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 it's just frustrating because I, I will give a little secret away. Actually, I was doing the analysis piece, and as people journalists have done in the past now you, you you find yourself rewinding every now and then to sort of just go back over incidents and I was doing that and in the last five ten minutes I was trying to catch up with real time all the way through and as it got to the final play I was about 15 seconds behind so I actually watched Francis try through horrific fast forward um, which was uh, which will stay with me indelibly marked on my soul for a long time I feel so it was felt like because uh, I was actually I was seeing the oh no tweets on my phone before I actually saw the try it was a horrible experience and uh, I, you just saw the faces of the Welsh players the final whistle like you know it's uh, it's a difficult place to be and um, they'll have to just go away now and dust themselves it's important to remember that they've still got a very, very realistic yep. chance of winning the title. I think, Matt, you've been looking at the sums, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. So this, the, the sums are that, that France need to win with a bonus point against Scotland on Friday night, and they need to win by at least 21 points. Um, bonus point for four tries. I see that's very realistic with this attack in potency. Winning by 21? Here's the question. What if everybody's level on points and, and um, tries at the end of the tournament? What happens then? Is yeah. it a toss of a coin? Well, it might be worse, to be honest. So, they, um, so yeah, so if it goes to points difference, if they're level, so if France win with a bonus point, they join Wales on 20 points in the championship. Then it goes to points difference. And if they're level on points difference, it goes to tries scored. Um, and if they're level on tries scored, at that point, the tournament rules say that the teams share their position. Um, now, 
<laughs> has there ever been a Six Nations that has been shared? Um, oh, yeah, there has been because you didn't used to have points difference. So not, not a Six Nations. Not in Six Nations. In the Five Nations, because as I said to you earlier today, I'm very, very old. <laughs> uh, I remember quite a few occasions where in the Five Nations you would have like two or three teams with three wins and it would be a shared title then. I've got a suggestion. Do we, do we know who the last two teams to share an old Five Nations were? I- um, I, no I got a, I got a feeling it might have been Wales and France. It was 1988. Yeah, yeah and I, um, but actually in '88, France won the title. If I'm not mistaken, because Wales were going for the Grand Slam in the last game when they lost to France. Now, I'll look it up later. But I've got, I've got a suggestion for how, if everything's equal, how they can, uh, a very topical, appropriate suggestion for how they can decide who uh, wins the title. And I think whichever team has breached COVID regulations during the course of the tournament should lose the, uh, the title to the other side. How does that sound? <laughs> or did they breach them? Did they breach them? Brian, more thoughts. Someone comes. Did, did they breach them? I mean, what was it? What was it? It wasn't croissants. What was it? Not, not what, croissants. Waffles. Not, was, uh, waffles. waffles. I think we've waffled on enough, really, in recent. I just want to raise one final point. So, as and I think it's a nice one to close on. So, I'm not. This isn't a damaging result for Pivac, right? I'm not suggesting that. But how much does he personally lose by not winning the Grand Slam? in terms of credit with the public, in terms of convincing his doubters? You know, it's a twofold question. How much does he lose if he wins a wins a Six Nations, but not a Grand Slam? And how much does he lose if they don't win the title? I, I think because there was so limited expectation, I think people, as the settles, as you've said, will look at it as a whole. And they will see the fact that Wales put 40 points on England, scored 20 tries, are we saying, in the end? I think it was 20. 20, yeah, 20 yeah. which is 20 a record tries. by three tries. And have gone to Paris and came within a seconds of winning and probably played their best rugby of the tournament. I think if my fear for today was always that Wales, my big fear was that Wales would just find it too much against a very good French side, lose by 15, 20 points. And you'd have people turning around and say, oh, I told you they were, you know, they were lucky, you know, yeah. and, they were no good, they're really, and that they were really, you know, would have been the worst Grand Slammers. I don't think anyone will say that now. What I wanted, and we talked beforehand, what I really wanted to see was for Wales to produce their best performance in the championship, which they did. For Wales to be in the game, well, they were more in the game. They were 10 points up with eight minutes to go. So they were very much, very much, you know, in, I thought, in the game, and I thought they were the better team. So I think the pluses out of today, actually, even though they lost, it's the only game they've lost. But I think the pluses out of today are really significant. And, you know, this is a team now. A lot of people wondered, didn't they? Dad's army thing, are they too old? Are the people going to have to finish? Well, I mean, you've got, you've got people in their 30s, you know, mid-30s. Alan wins 35, 36 now. They don't look like they're running out of gas, do they? You know, these are people who still looked at a lot. And like I said, Jonathan Davis had one of his best games in ages for Wales today, you know. I just think there's lots of pluses. And, and the biggest thing for me is just look at the people who weren't playing. Look at the depth there is now. And it's interesting because I don't suppose they'll go and I can't see any way in which they're going to go to Argentina and Uruguay this summer, which would have been another step forward in the progression looking at other people. 
Um, but I perhaps, you know, after the sort of the frantic year and everything that people have been through, maybe a summer off ain't the worst thing. And this team can stick together, come back in the autumn, and it'd be fascinating to see how they go against the Southern Hemisphere sides. Fingers crossed if we're back up and running in those kind of games. Yeah, no, it's, it's a really good question. Um, I think those who are in the PIVAC out brigade aren't going to change their minds, are they? Uh, I saw someone on Twitter suggesting tonight that this just proves that Wales can't finish matches and that they've been lucky in the first three matches to finish them. Sort of, you know, England imploded, Scotland imploded, Ireland imploded, Wales didn't finish the matches. I don't buy that argument. I think Wales are on a, a pretty good trajectory now. Um, and I think what this Six Nations has done, which helps Pivac, is it's it's shone a new light and a new context on the autumn. Yeah, I think it's two things, isn't it? Which France, then that, sort of negates some of the results in the autumn, I think. It's two things. So they, France just started to play, and when they start to play, even if they're 14 men, they're a dangerous animal. And maybe a little bit of Wales had one eye on the finishing line. It happens, doesn't it? You know, they, they probably didn't expect to be 10 points up against 14 men with eight minutes to go, do they? Let's be honest. Uh, and it's uh, I come back to it though fantastic game of rugby it's been a really good tournament and it's been a really positive tournament for Wales and I think we need to take those things away absolutely what, what are and your they, and they might, they might the still win the title don't they indeed they might what, what are your thoughts on the question yeah I just think that um, you know largely echo what you guys have said but I, I just think it'll it'll give those those who who want to to criticise Wayne Pivak a, a little bit of fuel now to that fire? You know, you know, pundits outside of Wales now will will call them lucky for their results um, in other games. By outside the Wales, you mean um, Ireland? Yeah, not just Ireland though. You know, there was a lot coming from Scotland and a, a bit from England as well. Obviously, you know, from from you know externally. Um, you know, we've given them. I I gave them criticism after the first two performances as well. Um, you know, I didn't think they played particularly well, but I think you take what you get in sport and there's never been a Grand Slam without luck. And I refuse to believe there will be one in the future. So, you know, you take it as it comes. Um, I just think that a Grand Slam in the way that they would have won it had they held on would have silenced everyone. So that try is going to really hurt Wayne Pivak. Not not, um, not literally, uh, but I think like it, it, it'll hurt him personally. That, that they didn't get over the line because I think it would have really vindicated him. Um, you know, of all the stuff they went through in the autumn and the criticism they've had, you know, it would have been, nobody would have been able to take it away from them regardless of what they'd said. Um, so, you know, they can still win the title, um, but I do think it does take away a little bit of the impact that uh, a Grand Slam would have had for Pivak. Interesting thing for me, you know, I, I go back to that ceiling off incident and I can't hardly remember France winning a, a jackal breakdown turnover penalty in the entire game you know they just didn't look because they don't really have a specialist over the bush Olivon's a fantastic athlete Aldridge's a machine uh, but they don't really have a jackal in their team particularly and you'd have put any money on Wales being able especially the way they cleared out up until then it's just these things happen, don't they? And I'm sure nine times out of ten, they would have just seen out that last minute 
should they have kept on playing a bit more? I mean, I don't know, maybe taking it away from that area a little bit. But then the danger is you get isolated. Yeah, you know, I mean, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? It's just, I suppose you can just hear the frustration in all our voices, really. Absolutely. Celevy, uh, as they say. Um, so that's it. Um, Wales have been denied a Grand Slam, but all hope is not lost. We now face... Uh, I was going to say an anxious wait. I don't know how anxious it's going to be. Important to tell the listeners as well about the decision of the Scottish players. Ben, is know what you were saying earlier. Yep. So Scotland, um, this is a blessing probably for Wales, will have all their English-based players. That's uh, That's been confirmed literally about three minutes before kickoff in the Wales game tonight. So Scotland will head to Paris with a strong contingent of players. And they're a decent team. They are a decent team. Um I'm, I'm not sure that if, they, if they're going to play Stuart Hogg a fly half. But I think Russell is expected to be fit, isn't he? That's all right. Yeah, that's good then. Um, um, so, yeah, hopefully they'll go out and do a job for us. Um, or hopefully Fabian Galtier goes out for waffles again. Well, I mean, Scotland won't, won't want to end what's been a kind of up and down season. They won't want to end it by losing a bit more than 20 points, will they? No, no, they won't. It's a bizarre tournament for Scotland. Um, and of course... You know, even though the touring doesn't matter, anytime there's a lion selection on the cards and you've got a Scotland away game, they know that they have to work extra hard to impress Warren Gatland. Well, the way France are going to play, which is going to be four tries, is going to be absolutely essential. And the way Scotland play, which can tend to be a bit free and wheeling, it could be like 60 40, it could be a super rugby style score. So, uh, what time is that? Is that six o'clock next Friday? Are we saying? No, it's a late kickoff again, isn't it? I couldn't possibly tell you. It's, it's, it might not be Saturday or next Saturday morning. Don't worry about that. Oh, goodness I'm, me. Off, I'm off next week, so you'll be dealing <sighs> with that one. I'm, I'm all right, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've been. I've worked every late shift on every. Oh yeah. We, oh, <laughs> let's get the violins. You had, one of the, you had one of the great Welsh regional victories to report on last night, the night before last, even. Playing <laughs> <laughs> in awful, awful rewrite that was. Um, so yeah, we, we face a six-day wait to see if Wales can win the Six Nations and um, here's hoping Steve Tandy does us a little favour. Yeah, man, thank you to all the readers and listeners for following our stuff during the Championship. It's been a pleasure to cover it and uh, here's hope there's, uh, there's still another bit of good news to come next weekend. Indeed, and you can follow all the reaction from Paris and all the build-up to Wales's potential Six Nations coronation without being there. Next Friday. Oh, well, get your kilts on. Get your kilts on. Get your kilts on.